the Greek use is seeing the wonderful and the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and our Redeemer, our Savior. To whom every knee shall bow someday and every tongue confess that he is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Ed and I have uh, anticipated being here with you as a congregation and as a local people here. And uh, Ed and I come to you with confidence that we have a commonality with each one of you that is that centers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the salvation that we have, that we have experienced as a part of His family, John in First John chapter one calls this commonality of fellowship. We have fellowship one with another and with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Father, a, a koinonia, a, a shared life together. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, I'm grateful that uh, we, we have that together here uh, this evening and this week. Uh, it's, it's my desire um, that to be a blessing to you uh, this evening and in the coming evenings this week. But I also desire and expect to be blessed and enriched by you by your faith and your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Brother Leon said that uh, I was here with you um, 10, 11 years ago. And that doesn't mean I, uh, I know your names and I know who you are because you have changed and I have changed. Uh, uh, and, uh, but uh, uh, I... Uh, I do feel that commonality with you, and um, I, uh, I'm grateful for that. You know, if, uh, if, you're, if you're 21 or 2 years old, and I'm not going to ask how many of you are that age, but if you're 21 or 22 years old, if I was here half a lifetime ago, right? Uh, for you. Uh, it doesn't seem that long for me, but uh, it, that, that's the way it is. Well, this evening I would draw your attention, first of all, to uh, the handout that you received when you came in, as uh, came into the service. Uh, it really it, it consists simply of the uh, list of messages that uh, I I will be speaking on throughout the week. Um, as you will notice that the, the messages come from the first eight chapters of uh, the Book of Romans. I don't know if I should apologize for preaching uh, to you from the first eight book, uh, chapters of Romans, because I do understand that it hasn't been too long ago that you have uh, studied this, uh, this book, the Epistle of Romans, in your Sunday school class. But nevertheless, uh, uh, we're going to be looking at the doctrine of salvation as it's given to us in the first eight chapters of Romans. And I uh, 
give you this uh, handout so, uh, so, so you can sort of know what, what's coming and also you can pray more specifically each day for the particular message. And also, I, uh, I give you this handout so that you can warm your heart before you come to church each evening. And you can do so by reading the portion that is going to be that I'm going to be speaking from for that particular evening. Uh, and uh, for tomorrow evening especially, I'm going to be speaking from the, the message title comes from verse 18 of Romans chapter one. And uh, on the sinfulness and the ungodliness of man. But, uh, but I, I'm going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And so I encourage you, to be, before you come to church, to read that section. Not just superficially, but read that section, and not just once. I would encourage you to read it a number of times. times. Uh, and so, uh, uh, yes, warm your heart so you don't come cold to the service, uh, and, and you, uh, you, you, your heart is warm to the subject matter of the evening. So each evening, I, I would encourage you to do that uh, in this coming week. Well, my, uh, my affinity and my interest in the Book of Romans goes back many years. It, in fact, it goes back to my early years as a missionary in northwestern Ontario. It was in 1974, uh, it was 1971, that Ed and I uh, went to Northwestern Ontario in October of 1971. But it was in 1974 uh, that I ventured, first ventured to preach my way through the Book of Romans in a little, a little village of Hudson, Ontario. Uh, we didn't live in Hudson, we lived in Sioux Lookout, which was uh, 15 miles uh, from Hudson. Uh, but uh, I, I was preaching uh, from the Book of Romans that year in, in Hudson because my fellow missionary, David and Esther Hertzberger, who had been uh, missionaries in Hudson approximately seven years before we got there, uh, were, had gone on sabbatical that year. And uh, so uh, I, uh, I was preaching twice a Sunday for that whole year, Sunday morning in Sulukout and Sunday evening in Hudson. And uh, I, I sort of made a quick decision uh, as I began that year of preaching. I decided that uh, I would preach my way to the Book of Romans. Uh, it wasn't a very profound decision. Um, but one of those things, you, I sort of made a decision on the spur of the moment. And... Uh, Maybe I didn't know quite what I was getting into, but uh, I decided to do that. And one reason I did that, and, and if, if, you're, if you're a preacher, you understand what I'm saying when you say that sometimes you struggle as long, uh, uh, as long to decide what to preach on that you do uh, what you're going to preach, what, what the, the subject matter that you're going to preach. And so it, by deciding that I was going to preach my way through the Book of Romans, I didn't have to decide week after week what I was going to preach. It's just the next section, right? The next double, uh, next section that, that comes uh, in, uh, in sequence in the Book of Romans. So I began to preach my way through the Book of Romans. 
I thought surely I could make it last 12 30. Uh, I discovered that uh, I finished uh, preaching my way through the Book of Romans 50 Sundays for me. It's definitely good. Well, um, I, I, I looked at my notes from those sermons and I said, I sure didn't plow very deeply in those days. <laughs> Uh, and I don't know, I really don't know what the people got out of it at that year. I had to preach simply, I was preaching to a congregation of uh, Native Indian people plus some white people, um, so I was attempting to preach simply through, through the Book of Romans. But I want to tell you, it changed me as a preacher. It changed my life. It, it changed the way I preached. Um, and it, it gave me a, a hunger to to, uh, to to do expositional preaching, and, and so it, it really changed my, my life as a preacher. And so I'm I'm grateful for that. I, I just want to testify to the fact that the uh, that the spiritual truth found in this epistle are such depth and such intensity that I am still attempting to plumb the depths and the richness of them. Now, let me just be very straightforward with you. I want to tell you that, that this is probably the 20th time or so that I've preached this very sermon that I'm going to preach to you tonight. It's probably never been exactly the same. Because it has changed me and... and uh, uh, and, and it never gets boring for me because of the richness of the Word of God, and and, and every time there's something fresh, there's something new that that uh, uh, I experience as I uh, as I, I preach this message on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the last time I taught the Book of Romans in, at SMBI, I asked my students at the beginning of the, uh, the semester, uh, why Romans? Why did you choose to take this uh, study on the Book of Romans? And uh, the, the common answer was, I had him write it down for me. The common answer was, I wish for a deeper understanding of my salvation. Now, I don't know if you can identify with that here tonight. I trust you can. But I sense that some of my students were in a deep, in, 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 were grappling deeply with the issues of assurance of salvation. Yes, and, and a just of understanding in a deeper way the, the, the issue of their personal salvation and, and uh, the, the doctrine of salvation as it's given to us here in the Book of Romans. Well, I, so I invite you tonight to contemplate and examine with me the doctrine of our salvation as given in Romans. And, and not only, uh, my desire, not only that our comprehension of our salvation be enlarged, but that in the process of our, that our commitment to Jesus Christ be strengthened and it be deepened.
let me do uh, just share a few things, um, beginning here about the importance of the message of the Book of Romans. You know, uh, let me just tell you right from the get-go, I don't know how long it's going to take me to expedite myself with this message. But I, I'm grateful for one thing. As I came in here and looked around, I saw no clocks. Uh, Especially none up here. I, I'm, I'm especially grateful for that. <laughs> so uh, I, I trust that, uh, as Leon uh, indicated, that there's a, a hunger and a thirst that, uh, is, that we have for uh, understanding, for a deeper reality of uh, the message of the Book of Romans. Well, uh, the, the first eight chapters of Romans gives us the most precise, the most extensive, the most complete exposition of the doctrine of our salvation that uh, I find in the New Testament. I don't say that lightly. Because, uh, yes, I find that in the book of Romans there's a uh, there, there's a, there's a, there's something, there's a, a larger, a, a logical, uh, ongoing exposition of the gospel of our salvation, of the doctrine of our salvation, in a way that is not found in any other book of the New Testament. And uh, we'll be looking at that a little bit later. Uh, William Schuller, who writes an excellent little book entitled Salvation Themes in Romans, published by Robin Staff, says, Paul's letter to the Romans is not just the first epistle of the New Testament, it's the hub of all the epistles. It was William Tyndale, in the uh, prologue to his 1534 edition of the English New Testament, that he said that this letter was the principal and the most excellent part of the New Testament. He goes on to say that no man can read it too often or study it too well. For the more it is viewed, the pleasanter it becomes. So great treasure of spiritual things are hidden. Well, it seems to me that the importance of the Book of Romans lies in the importance of its message, the, uh, the important message of our salvation. As uh, you will notice on the uh, handout of the uh, list of messages, that the title for my message is The Power of the Gospel, The Power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, the uh, particular text that this message is, uh, uh, comes from is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But I'm not only going to be looking at the particular text, I'll be looking at the, uh, at the first 17 verses of uh, Romans chapter 1 this evening, which seems to be the prologue to the book of Romans. Now, a prologue is an introduction to a treatise or a book in which the author attempts to give a brief overview of the subject matter he's going to address in the larger text. Now, I, understand, I, I realize that by identifying these first 17 verses as the prologue to the Book of Romans, I'm attempting to give some literary structure uh, to, uh, to the Epistle of Romans. 
And while, while I'm convinced uh, that there is a literary structure found in the Book of Romans, uh, it is a bit, uh, a bit superficial to uh, assess, a bit superficial to place a literary outline on, uh, on, on this, uh, on the, onto the text. Because um, I don't believe that Paul was speaking from an outline when he dictated this letter to Tertius, who acted as his scribe, as uh, we find in chapter 16, verse 22. But I, I, in my mind, I, I, I visualize, I, I imagine the Apostle Paul um, excitingly pacing the floor, possibly, and um, actually under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, dictates the churches this revelation of the doctrine of our salvation. Well, having said that, uh, I, will, I will continue to attempt to give outline to the various texts as we come to them evening after evening. Uh, I do so for the sake of uh, bringing clarity to the various texts that I'll be preaching from throughout this week. Now, there are two ways. There are two ways that a preacher, uh, for a preacher to approach a biblical text. One is uh, to approach the biblical text in order to do exegesis of the text. Now, to do exegesis of the text means to do exposition of the text. To draw out of the text the scripture, the meaning of the text itself. And so that's one way to, for a preacher to approach a text of scripture. The other way is to do eisegesis of a text. Now, to do eisegesis of a text is to sort of uh, superimpose one's own ideas and biases onto the text, which often causes us to do violations of the uh, of the actual meaning of the text of Scripture because we are superimposing our own biases and ideas on, onto the text. And so I believe that the, the safest uh, uh, way to, uh, to teach the Scriptures, in, in my mind, is to do exposition of the text. And so I, I say that because I will attempt, I want you to know that I'm going to attempt to stick to the text as close as I possibly can throughout this week. Now, having said all of that, would you uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 1? I'd like to read the first 17 verses. Romans chapter 1, the first 17 verses. Would you, would you stand with me to the reading of the Scriptures? Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. But he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness 
by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for whom for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saved, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken out throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making requests that by enemies, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. To the end, ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I have purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me as I am ready to preach the gospel to you that I have won also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith, after it is written, the just shall live by faith. You may be seated. We can ask the, the ushers uh, or whoever has those the second handouts if you uh, give those out at this time. Uh, this uh, this handout uh, is uh, like a teaching uh, overview, or uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a teaching um, overhead um, that uh, will possibly help you to. Uh, see where I'm going in, in this message. Um, and I, I will tell you right from the get-go that I won't be able to uh, uh, to um, um, look at all of that is in the overhead that you will have in hand, uh, but uh, it will give you some direction uh, and give you some idea of the direction I'm going. Uh, with uh, with this message from Romans chapter one verses one to seventeen, so uh, I trust that it will be beneficial to you. I don't want it to be a distraction to you, uh, but it will be a blessing. My desire is that it be a blessing to you. But uh, allow me first of all to do a, a brief overview of uh, the uh, the first seventeen verses of uh, of Romans chapter one. Um, Note several things uh, in uh, in overview uh, in an overview of especially verses one through fifteen. Uh, I will be focusing in on verses fifteen and seventeen then as the main thrust of my message. But we notice first of all that in verse one Paul introduces himself. He uh, he begins his letter by by introducing himself. He, he, he does so, not because the Christians in Rome didn't know who he was. Uh, after all, it's been 20-some years now since the Apostle Paul, uh, since, since his conversion on the Damascus Road, 
And uh, for a number of those, uh, most of those 20 years, uh, Paul has been storming across the Roman Empire uh, with the gospel, all the way from <coughs> all the way from Antioch and Syria, across Asia Minor to Macedonia, and then south to the low part of ancient Greece. Uh, not, not only is Paul's introduction <coughs> of himself in verse 1 uh, a way of attaching his, uh, his name, his signature to this letter, but I believe Paul is in a powerful way giving testimony to those things. <coughs> that define his life as a Christian and as a follower of Christ. <coughs> So, Paul says three things about himself. He says, first of all, that Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, secondly, called to be an apostle, and I'm separated unto the gospel of God. So, he introduces himself in three ways. And, and by this, uh, we get a glimpse into the three things that Paul was very passionate about. He said, first of all, I'm uh, passionate about my relationship with Jesus Christ, and, I, and so I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And the word servant here really should be slave, or better, it should be bond servant. I'm the bond servant of Jesus Christ, but because the, the Greek uses the word slave, the, the strongest word for slave that is in the, in, in the Greek language here. He says, I'm the slave of Jesus Christ. I'm the bond servant of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says, I'm called to be an apostle. And so he, uh, he uh, 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 lets us know what his second passion is. That to fulfill his calling the, with which God called him. At one place, he calls this the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's called to be an apostle. Furthermore, he says, I'm separated unto the gospel of God. I don't know what your passions are tonight, but I would like to put forth Paul's threefold passion as an important one for each one of us. <clears throat> that, that we consider ourselves to be the bond servants of Jesus Christ. That we know something of what God has called us to. And, and that we ourselves here at Bethel are separated into the gospel of God. So Paul, in a very brief way, in a powerful way, introduces himself. How would you introduce yourself as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus Christ? What are your, what are your, your passions in life? Well, so Paul introduces himself and in, in a, in a, gives us a, a, a quick glimpse into his, his life and, his, and what, what he's very passionate about. Secondly, Paul introduces the gospel in verses 1 through 5. You will notice that. Um, as, I, as I see it, he does this because central to the doctrine of salvation is the is the the, the, doc, is the, the the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
In fact, the doctrine of salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, note four things that Paul tells us about the gospel here in verses 1 through 5. First of all, he identifies the gospel as the gospel of God. And he does so in verse 1 when he says, He is separated unto the gospel of God. Now, because of the way that the preposition of is used here in the subjective genitive, probably doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me because I'm not good at my my English grammar. But uh, I'm telling you what others what others have told me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, um, yeah, because of the the way the preposition of is used here. Paul is emphasizing the fact that the gospel is from God. By saying it is the gospel of, of God, he is saying it is, it is the gospel is from God. And that's important. In other words, it originated with God. The, the gospel is God's idea and God's plan. The fact of the matter is, that the genius of the gospel is that it is of or from God and not of and from man. That's why Paul, who later could say, the gospel is the power of God and salvation to all them that believe. So first of all, the gospel is of God. It is from God. You know, the, the source of the message adds to the importance of the message. And so when, when Paul is saying that I'm separated into the gospel that is from God, he is giving us the thought of the gospel. It is from God. And that could be no greater thought. Second, the gospel is promised and foretold by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's in verse 2. You see, the gospel was not a spur of the moment uh, plan, haphazardly and hastily put together or put forth. It came forth from the predetermined and the eternal counsels of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and furthermore, the, the gospel has, God has been, has been preparing the world for the gospel for hundreds of years, all throughout the Old Testament. And finally, in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says that when the fullness of time had come, when the right time had come, when the time was right for the gospel, God sent forth his Son made of a woman born under the law. God's plan was carefully put together by sovereign holy God. It, uh, it, it, it was not a plan that was haphazardly and hastily put forth. Thirdly, the gospel is made available in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, verses 3 to 4. And folks, this is exclusively so. In John 14, 6, Jesus said on the eve before his crucifixion, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way to God. That, that message is not appreciated in our world. It's not very popular. But it's, it's the way it is. There is no other way to God. And, and falsely, Paul says in verse 5 that the gospel is available to the nation through Paul's apostleship. In other words, because of, of or through Paul's obedience to God's call, what he calls his obedience to the faith. The gospel is, available, is made available to the nations of the world, verse 5. The fact that the gospel is available to all the nations, and I believe the, the word nations here is ethnos, means that the gospel is a non-ethnic gospel. It, it's not for one particular class or group of people. It is for all people. It is for the it is, it is for the nations of the world. All nations uh, are, are, are called by the gospel to Jesus Christ. Then we notice in verses 6 through 8 that Paul affirms uh, four things about the recipients of the gospel. And uh, there, there is uh, much I'd like to say about this, but uh, because of the constraints of time, uh, allow me just to hone in on the uh, the, the fourth thing. Um, well, uh, notice the second thing that uh, he uh, he affirms uh, about the recipients of the gospel. The first is that they are the called of Jesus Christ, verse six. Secondly, they are beloved of God. If there is anything I could indelibly impress upon your hearts and throughout the After I've left here on Sunday afternoon, you could sense that you are beloved. And you could sense how beloved of God you are. We are the love of God. Imagine the creator of the world, the God of the universe. We are the love of God. We are the love of Testifies to the fact that here was a church in the center of this cosmopolitan, wicked city of Rome, the capital city of the world. It was a church whose faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. 
this testifies to the fact that here was a church that impacted the world with their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that was unusual. That's the way it ought to be, folks. God intends that we impact the world. God does not intend that the world impacts the church, but that the church of Jesus Christ impacts the world. Now, we know very little about the origin of the church in Rome, how this church came to be, how it was first established in the capital city of the world. It's sort of an unknown factor. We're told in Acts 2, however, that on the day of Pentecost, there were present in Jerusalem strangers from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. So it's very likely that some of them heard the gospel in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, became believers and carried the gospel back with them to the city of Rome. We don't can't know for sure, but how how. The gospel first came there, but that is that is the likely way that it first came to the, the, the city of Rome. We know for sure that the gospel had arrived in the city of Rome long before the apostle Peter or Paul got there, possibly 20 to 30 years before we ever got to the city of Rome. Now, back to the, the, uh, the first 17 verses. Paul introduces himself, and he introduces the gospel, he uh, uh, comments uh, and affirms, uh, comments and affirms the church at Rome, and um, then in verses 19 to 13, Paul states and affirms the commitment to the church in Rome. Let me just uh, pass over this real quickly. Uh, and he says three things about that. In verse 9, he says he prays for them. Verse 10, he, he desires to visit them. Thirdly, he desires to have a mutually supportive relationship with them. Verses 11 to 13. And, uh, and so uh, there's, there's much more that could be said about that, but let me, let me just leave it at that. Because I want to come to verses 14 and 15, where Paul affirms and states his commitment to the gospel uh, uh, further here in verses 14 and 15. Paul had already stated in verse 1 that as the bondservant of Jesus Christ, and as an apostle called and appointed by God, that he was set apart unto the gospel of God. Now, here in verses 14 and 15, he tells us several more things about his commitment to the gospel. Verse 14, he says, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. Verse 14. Let me, let me read it again to refresh our minds. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that I wrote most of. So Paul says, I'm a debtor. Now, a debtor is one who, among other things, is under obligation. 
he has an obligation, and it's under obligation. How many of you understand that? How many of you are in debt? Any debtors here? You understand that you have an obligation, right? Yeah. So, Paul, in essence, is saying, by saying that I'm a debtor, he's saying I'm, I have an obligation and I am under an obligation here. <laughs> to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has an obligation to share the gospel. You see, to be a recipient of the gospel obligates us to share the gospel with others. I trust we understand that. Because the word gospel means good news. And good news is meant to be shared with others. So Paul is saying that he feels himself under obligation to those who haven't heard the gospel, to the lost, to, that, to those uh, who, regardless of their ethnicity or social status, that need the gospel. He's a debtor to them. And uh, my challenge to us this evening is, are we also debtors in this same sense? Do we have this sense of obligation to share the gospel, the, the goodness of the gospel, to those who are lost around us? And then Paul says, I'm ready to preach. Ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. That's verse 15. Notice he says, as much as in the yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm ready to preach. Um, I, you know, the, the word ready has, uh, has to do with two concepts here uh, in, in the original text. Uh, has two connotations. Um, one is, uh, I'm prepared. And um, Paul doesn't use that word here in, uh, in verse 15. But he uses another word which means, I am eager. I'm on, the, I'm on, the, I'm on, the, I'm on your obligation. <laughs> and I'm eager to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also. I'm jumping at the bit. Yes. Uh, that's the way it's used here. Uh, I'm, I'm under obligation, and I'm eager to preach the gospel to you at Rome also. Well, then you come, we come to verses 16 and 17, and uh, here we, we come to the heart of the text and the heart of the message that I want to share with you this evening. Because here in verses 16 and 17, we have given to us the the very essence and the nature of the gospel. Consider all that I've said so far as preliminary and introductory. Verses 16 and 17 are rich and loaded with truth about the gospel of our salvation. In these two verses, as I said, Paul gives us the essence and the nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is felt that here is the very thesis for the epistle to the Romans. If there is a thesis statement in this prologue to the book of Romans, then verses 16 and 17 can be seen as Paul's thesis statements, especially for the first eight chapters. Because in verses 16 and 17, they sum up for us what God has done to bring salvation. In two brief sentences, Paul tells us what motivates him to preach the gospel. He tells us what the gospel is. 
He tells us what the gospel does, how the gospel can be received, for whom the gospel is available, and what the gospel reveals. And the first thing he says here in verse 16 is, he says, For I'm, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are Rome also, verse 15, for, for because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to all them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. After it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul begins this, you know, this, uh, this, this, uh, these verses uh, by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. With a disclaimer, as it were. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, allow me to, to notice several things about this disclaimer. This matter of uh, this thing that Paul says, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The, the, ready, I, the reason I'm so eager uh, to, to preach the gospel <clears throat> to you that are known is because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, um, allow me to uh, uh, reflect on this just for a moment. Um, so, several things about this disclaimer. It tells us, first of all, how sure Paul was about the gospel that he preached. You know, you don't get very far into the book of Romans until you sense that Paul is, is very sure about the gospel he preached. You know, in, in Galatians chapter 1, I believe it's in verse 89. Uh, let me turn to that. It says this. Though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Did you get that? And then he repeats himself. And, and you know why he repeats himself? Well, the, the Hebrew way of, of uh, uh, reinforcing something is by repetition. Of course, you know that as parents. That's, that's a good way to do it. To your children. Uh, repeat it. <laughs> that's the second time. And here Paul says it the second time. And, and it... it, it, it reinforces the truth of what he said. And so he goes on to say, as we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that, that ye have received, let him be accursed. Is there any doubt in your mind that Paul felt very sure about the gospel that he preached? And let me ask you a question. Why did he feel so sure about the gospel he preached? I believe that was one reason why he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There, were, there, were, there are a number of reasons why one could be ashamed of the gospel. Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? Have you ever been in a situation where you just want to be quiet? And not reveal? 
what you believe, what you stand for, especially what you share the gospel. You're in that kind of situation. There, there were there were numerous reasons why Paul could have felt ashamed of the gospel. And one of the reasons was because central to the gospel is a crucified Savior. And there is no death so despicable, so obnoxious, that as, as, as death by crucifixion. And, and to declare that, that God brings salvation to us through a crucified Savior, what did he say in in, uh, uh, in, in in First Corinthians, to the Jew is um, a stumbling block, and to the Greek or to the Roman or to the Gentile, it was so much foolishness. But I believe that Paul was so sure about the gospel that he preached for for at least two reasons. Number one, um, because. The, the gospel that Paul preached had been tested in the arena of life. And this is what I mean. As I said, he had been preaching the gospel for 20-some years. And he had seen the gospel change thousands of lives, both by the Jews, from the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul knew that the gospel of God was not theory. It actually was effective in changing men's lives. I believe for that reason, Paul could say, very quickly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to all men that believe. The second reason, I believe, Paul was so sure about the gospel is because of how Paul received the gospel, how Paul received the, the doctrine of salvation. If, if you go to Galatians chapter 1, you'll discover that Paul tells us how he received the, the, uh, the doctrine of salvation. He said, I received it not of man. And by that he means, I, I wasn't taught the, the truth of the gospel by anyone, by any man, not of the other apostles, not by uh, Ananias, not by uh, anyone else, but Paul affirms in Galatians chapter 1 that he received the gospel by direct revelation from God in, in those two years that he spent in, in, uh, in, in Arabia. You understand that after Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, that uh, he, he didn't spend, after, after his conversion, he didn't spend a lot of time in Damascus, nor did he go to Jerusalem to consult the apostles. But he went directly to Arabia, which is uh, uh, the, the ancient place of, of Mount Sinai, and, uh, and he went to Arabia and spent two plus years in, in Arabia, and Paul says, if you read Galatians chapter 1, that there the, 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 Lord, the Lord Jesus revealed to him. I, I don't understand how he did it. 
But Paul's testimony is that there he revealed to him the, uh, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He revealed to him the doctrine of salvation as he preached it then for the rest of his life. It's no wonder that Paul felt so sure about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he didn't receive it. Not from any man. Not from the apostle. Not from Peter. Not from James. Because it wasn't until those three to two plus years that then he went to Jerusalem and, uh, and visited Peter and James and, and, and talked to them. Uh, but not until he had received it from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, though there could have been reasons why he could have been ashamed of the gospel, yet he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because he was very sure about the gospel and the nature of the gospel and the essence of the gospel. And, and we have given to us here in, in the book of the Verses 16 and 17 is the four fundamental truths about the gospel. The first thing that we're given in this uh, in, in this is, is that the gospel is of Christ. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and salvation. The salvation. Again, because of the preposition of in this phrase, it's used differently than in, in Romans 1 1. Paul is saying that the gospel is, in Romans 1 1, he says the gospel is from God, that it originates with God, that it is God's idea. And again, the genius of the gospel is that it is from God and not of or from man. Now, here in verse 16, Paul says, uh, that, that the gospel is also of Christ, but because of the preposition of, and that's the way it is used, he is saying that uh, the gospel is not necessarily from Christ, it is about Christ. Central to the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ, in other words. Central to the gospel is the person and the atoning work of Christ. Yes, the gospel is of Christ. Christ is central to the gospel. No Christ and no gospel. It is about Jesus Christ and it's the holy work of Calvary's gospel. The second thing that Paul says here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 is that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all them that believe. Now, what is that? Is that it is the power of God. And this is, this is okay. Now I'm coming to the very essential point of my message for the evening. The gospel is the power of God. The essence and nature of the gospel that it is the power of God unto salvation. The, the gospel is not about the power of God. It is the power of God. The gospel doesn't define the power of God. It is the power of God. Now, let me notice, first of all, here, that the, the, the meaning of the word power, uh, as it's used here in the original text, uh, has, uh, has 
an interesting meaning. The word power is an interesting word here uh, because uh, there, there are a number of words for power uh, in the Greek language, and, and uh, one of those words is exousia. Uh, and, and this usually means authority. So the word power sometimes is used uh, to, to define authority. It's so used in John chapter 1, verse 12. Remember what John said that Jesus came into the world and and the world knew him not, and he came unto his own people, and his own people received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even unto them that believe on his name. But the word power there is really the word of power. So then, those who believe, those who receive him, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to then give the power to become children of God. So the word there is but here, the, the word here in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 is not a policy, it is dunamis. The word is dunamis. It's, it, it's the word power as we use it. Dunamis refers to ability, might, dynamic power, miraculous power. The gospel of Christ is the dunamis of God. Now, the Roman Empire knew all about dunamis. He understood the concept of power. Through his highly trained army, it conquered the world by the power of the sword. It really did. Thus, it was the superpower of the then known world. Yes, by the dunamis or the power of the sword. Rome ruled the world. Yes, Rome understood power. It understood dunamis. In fact, it gloried in dunamis. It, it controlled the world by the dunamis or the power of the sword. It's what defined Rome. It was what Rome was all about. It was about power. You understand that? But Rome, by the power of a sword, could not change the moral rocks and the spiritual depravity of its citizens or of its emperors. You know that it is said that 13 of the 14 emperors of Rome were perverted homosexuals. One of Rome's own philosophers called the city of Rome a sexual of iniquity. The exact quote of that is, Rome is a guilted and haughty sexual of every foul thing. Uh, someone has said that Rome tolerated every excess, every, accepted every philosophy, and encouraged every abomination. Let me say it again. The power of Rome could not change sinful human nature, nor can America, with its military might, with its social programs, with its wealth, with all of its technological sophistication, it cannot change sinful human nature. But here in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul tells us 
that the unique nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it is the power of God to salvation. Does that grip us? Have we experienced it? It is the gospel and only the gospel that can change a sinful man or woman at the core of his or her being. Yes, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all them that believe. The gospel, when it is believed and embraced, changes a man's life. Acts 26 and verse 18. Jesus declared to Paul when, when he uh, struck him down at the Damascus Road, and he, he said, Get up, Paul. I want to tell you what you're supposed to do with your life, putting it in my own words. He said, I'm going to send you away into the Gentiles. And, uh, and declares that, that the gospel is that, he, that he's going to declare can deliver a man or woman. From the power of Satan unto God. Yes, the gospel saves. It sets a man free from sin and then fills within his breast the hope of his life. Dear people, it doesn't get any Furthermore, Paul says, that the power of the gospel is effective to all, all them that believe. You know, when, when the Christian general asked that important question, one of the most important questions that a man or woman can ask. When the Philippian jailer said, What must I do to be How can I have the forgiveness of sin? How can I have the hope of eternal life? Well, whatever is in, is in that question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul was silent. He just clicked on the draw there. And he said to me, Believe on the, of the Lord, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. power of the gospel is effective to all them that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is no exception. As I said, the gospel is non-ethnic. The scope of the gospel redemptive plan is universal in its availability, and it is equally effective for all people that believe, that truly believe and embrace and take to themselves. Going to verse 17, that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Now, the question is going to be asked what is the righteousness of God that the gospel reveals? We need to ask that question, but we'll be looking at that later on. And so, let me postpone the answer to that question. Uh, 
allow me to just put things somewhat into perspective in relation to the things that I've attempted to say to you this evening about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to reinforce the fact that it is the power of God unto salvation to all men that believe. And by let me just reinforce that in closing. With the story of Jesse Lyons. When I, we first moved to Sulogout in 1971, I would go out into the Indian villages and the Ragged Reserves around Sulogout, and I'd knock on doors and I'd ask to come in, and uh, I'd sit down and learn to know the people and attempt to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them in a one-on-one situation with, with couples, with families, with, with the children. So 35 miles uh, east of Sulagam was the little town of Umpreville, a little Indian village of Umpreville. There was maybe uh, eight or ten homes. And the first house I got to, a sort of a top paper shack that I got to on the right-hand side as I drove into the village of, of Umpreville, there lived Danny and Jesse Lyons. They were, when I first learned to know them, they were probably in their 40s. And they had the children in, in, at home, and they were around, around there. And I, and I, I would sit with them and, and just get acquainted and, and attempt to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesse and Daniel were alcoholics. They were drunkards. There were other students. Yeah, they had a dysfunctional home life. Jesse sexually abused her own sons. There were serious issues in their lives. Well, after a number of years, Jesse and Daniel moved into Sulacout. They moved just behind the old gospel hall where we used to have our services in Sulacout. And, and sometimes as I was working around the gospel hall, Jesse would walk by. You know, she stumbled by. And she, especially when she was under the influence, she loved to talk. <laughs> and uh, so she stopped and talked to me, and so we talked. Well, life went on, and Jesse's children uh, grew up and, and married, and they, they had a son, uh, Walter, who, uh, who was married to Lorene, and Lorene had become a Christian, was being, was being uh, nurtured by. by uh, Frida, one of my staff, and uh, and she was discipling her, and, and and so one Sunday morning, uh, Walter, her husband, walked into church, and he sat on the back bench, right back there, and uh, I mean, Walter was a big man. He he was a, a weightlifter. I mean, he was he was big, an imposing kind of man. So after after service, I went back to meet Walter. I didn't I knew who he was. I didn't know him well. But I went back and met Walter, and Walter said, "Now wait a minute. 
Now, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to make a decision about anything. I just want to see what this is all about. But the interesting thing was that from then on, Sunday after Sunday, Walter sat on that back bench and listened to the gospel of Jesus Christ being declared in Christ. And about four months later, one Sunday morning, Walter went home from church and did a very simple thing. Yes, a very profound thing. He knelt down beside his wife and I want to tell you that Walter's life was from that moment on, there was no more drinking, there was no more committing there was no more corruption. Walter's life, he it was changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So sometime later, several years later, Jackie Walker's mother was in the hospital because of alcohol and poisoning. And Walker went in to see her. Walker visited with her. Before he left the room, he said, Mom, Very simple. No profound explanation of the gospel. All she said was, Mom, you need Jesus. Jesse left the hospital and went to school. She said, I want Jesus. And Peter Social confidence. It's like the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was no more strength, no more corrals. While her husband continued to make very life very difficult for her, she stayed true and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ to the day of her death. She sat there on church. She was the kind of she came to me, you know, on after and said, Wayne, uh, I, I, I need to be baptized. I want to be baptized. I want to become a member of the church. You see, sitting church about right here every Sunday morning had that smile that encouraged me as a preacher. Why? Because her life was dynamically changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody from Tulagal 
made available, money available for Ed and I to fly to Philadelphia and attend the funeral that survived. And at the privilege not only of baptizing her into the church of Jesus Christ, but at the privilege of committing her body to the back, knowing that her spirit is going to be You would so impress upon our hearts the wonderfulness of the gospel and the power of the gospel that as we leave from here and go about our world and in the days to come, that we, along with the Apostle Paul, will not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God and salvation to all those who believe. Pray, Lord, that you will lay that upon our hearts and continue to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. It's with us with the blessing. So with us through the night watches. And we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night.